0: Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned into the Hey Mr. Wise Guy podcast. In today's society, people are drowning in information, but starving for wisdom. On every show, come take a journey with me through a powerful thought on business, life, career, purpose, marriage, and success. You can look forward to featured interviews with thought leaders who will help weigh in on these topics, as well as a host of others. A thought that I live by is wisdom can be attained, but only works when applied. Tune in to hear just how you can apply practical wisdom to help you build a more fulfilled and purposeful life. Today on the Hey, Mr. Wise Guy Podcast. We are talking to Anthony Collier. Now, Anthony Collier is a student body president and the class of 2022 G. Rowley, White Public Service Scholar at Texas Law. He's also a lead student counselor for the Texas Law Expunged Project and he volunteers with Law for Black Lives. Anthony also serves as a board member for the National Black Law Student Association and as chair of the Southwest Black Law Students Association. He's also currently an NAACP 2020 Kellogg's Law Fellow. And so we get into a very good conversation on the need for police reform here in America. Enjoy. All right, you are tuned into the Hey Mr. Wise Guy podcast, episode two and so excited about our guest tonight uh, anthony collier uh he is currently the student body president at texas law here in austin texas And i know he's got so much to share with us i met anthony working with another organization uh, we went on a trip overseas and i was just so impressed with this man's ambition his intelligence and his humility uh definitely a young man to be respected and admired so we're just excited that uh, he's joining in the conversation tonight So welcome my brother, so glad to have you.
1: Thanks for having me, I appreciate it.
0: No problem, man. I know we all been in this COVID man for the last couple of weeks. How has it been treating you? What have you been up to?
1: Well, yeah, I've been pretty busy. So in addition to being a student body president at the University of Texas School of Law, I'm also chair of the Southwest region of the National Black Law Students Association, which consists of Texas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, and 19 ABA accredited in law school. So I've been preparing for our annual convention, our job fairs, our pre-law symposiums, and the program that comes with that. And for the summer, I'm also working as an NAACP 2020 law fellow. So we, you know, we just defeated Trump in the Supreme Court over the DACA issue, and we're working on some voter suppression lawsuits and also on halting some of these COVID-19 evictions in the black community.
0: So you are busy, to say the least, man. That's amazing. Amazing, man. Congrats, man, on uh, just all you're doing to be a leader in the community, man, and take charge of some of these serious issues uh, that are plaguing our community, brother. I-, I commend you, man.
1: Thanks. I appreciate that. And I look forward to working with you on, on some of the stuff you got cooking. Absolutely,
0: man. We've been in the kitchen, brother. We
1: cooking. Yes, so sir.
0: So I'm excited about it. I'm excited man so let's jump into the conversation i'm really you know you can't help but you know watch what happened to george floyd and not be moved not feel some type of emotion uh tell me anthony you know what was your emotion
1: or what were you thinking when you saw that video well those videos are double-edged sword right because on the one hand it's traumatizing to constantly see black bodies being murdered, you know, on primetime television. It's not healthy for us, especially our children, yeah. to witness that. This is part of the reason why, uh, in the past, those races would leave, you know, bodies hanging in the trees, or why they left um, with the young Michael Brown's body laying in the street for all those hours. But on the other hand, without this video proof. Oftentimes, we, did, we get no justice. We get ignored, or they just uh, they just believe the opposite side of the story. So it's unfortunate, but it's kind of necessary. This trauma is almost necessary for us to get some accountability and some justice. Mm-hmm. Now, I personally watched the video because I'm kind of burnt out on seeing you know, people get murdered like yeah. that. But still, I'm still getting active, though, and doing what I can to rectify the situation. That's such a good point, man. I think you're right it is a tra-
0: traumatizing thing. I know when I watched you know the Ahmad aubrey video, you know I like to run I try to be an added runner when I was running those 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 video the images it was just haunting me man it's you're absolutely right it's traumatizing and it's not you know something that happens here and there. It seems like it's something that's happening continually you know over the last several years um and so I'm with you on that, man. I think that, um, you know, but what you said, I like what you said, it is causing people to really like look at the devil in the face, you know, so to speak. When you got it on video, you can't dispute it. It's right there in front of you. No opportunity to twist the facts, no opportunity to misinterpret it. If you got eyes to see, then you see the injustice that was committed, you know?
1: No, that's real. And speaking about how you like to go for runs, I like to go on runs too. And it reminds me of the trayvon martin case that what woke me up to activism was when george zimmerman got yeah. away with murdering trayvon martin yeah. and i remember um thinking thank god my neighborhood doesn't have a neighborhood watch When out because i was going for drugs. and i was yeah. like that with me trayvon martin and I are around the same age so that okay. really really struck home for me but also it makes me think about you know what we're saying about these videos Perhaps if there was a recording of Trayvon Martin being murdered, George Zimmerman would be behind bars right now. But because there wasn't a video, yeah. George Zimmerman was able to put Trayvon Martin on trial and demonize him and assassinate his character yeah. and ultimately
0: walk free. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's unfortunate, but it seems like, you know, the best thing that we can have is these instances be on film, on tape, you know. It's it's unfortunate. That that has to be the way it is, but you know, such is life, man. I want to ask you, you know, what what do you remember your first instance of racism, where you felt discriminated against, or you saw somebody else that
1: was discriminated against? The first, hmm, um, I I probably don't like because we we deal with so much, yeah. um like microaggression and so much systemic racism. But the thing that that's sticking to my mind right now is just like in middle school learning about the Alamo. Mm-hmm. To me, that's one of the most harmful racism that black students learn because even, uh, because they teach us, you know, remember the Alamo and that they had, we that those white heroes, you know they were just so brave, but in actuality it was an Afro-Latino president who outlawed slavery in Mexico and said slavery is wrong. We we won't have slavery anymore. And so some white or well, slave owners were basically like, well, we're going to succeed from Mexico. And so the battle of the Alamo and the succession of Texas were basically white folks fighting to keep black people enslaved. Yeah. Which is why uh, Texas and the Confederates felt so uh, comfortable succeeding from the Union and starting the Civil War because they're saying, you know, our our parents and our grandparents fought a Civil War and succeeded to keep slavery, so we'll just do the same thing. So, like, them teaching black kids to praise our ancestors or preachers is a twisted form of slavery, and and these textbooks need to be reformed immediately.
0: I had never heard that story, Anthony. I had never heard that. that. That viewpoint, I'm not from Texas, you know, so I don't know that history. I know I've heard about the Alamo, you know, through the grapevine. But I had never heard that backstory, man. Wow. Yeah, it's
1: deep, man. It's deep, man. And in Texas, they teach you as a kid, like, expect, it's probably starting in sixth grade that those that, that those guys were heroes. They to remember wow. that. I don't know, it's just man. It's like wow. Stockholm Syndrome. We've got to love loving our oppressors. Wow. Wow, man. That's so eye-opening, man. So
0: eye-opening. What do you think when you hear the word racism? Like, what... What do you think that means? So unpack that for me, just your own personal viewpoint on that.
1: When I hear racism, I think of apple pie because like a wise man once said that racism is is American as apple pie. (laughs) And and they also, and another person said that um, uh, racism is so American that when we protest racism, some white folks think we're protesting America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's not. Not only is it systemic, it's systematic. It's systemic because it's rooted within the system, and it's systematic because it works like clockwork every time. Like you think that's why you can replace a uh, racist white cop with even a black police officer, and oftentimes black people still get murdered at disproportionate rates because it's it's uh, it's systemic and yeah. systematic. No, you you make a very good point. And people talking about
0: how. The system, unfortunately, was built not for us. That's why people shouldn't be. I mean, we're upset because it's not, you know, justified. But in the same, you know, in the same tongue, you can say, you know, you you can't have any faith in the system because it was meant to operate as it is. It was meant to police brown and black people to be aggressive on them, you know, to send them away at disproportionate amounts of time. Um, I mean, that's the way the system was created.
1: Yeah, the system, like when people say the system is broken, they're wrong. The system is not broken. It's working perfectly fine, and that's the problem. Right, right. I love that we're getting, we're
0: segue right into the next question I have for you, man. You being a law student, like, how do you feel we need to approach reform given the many ideas? You've got some uh, legislative proposals that are circulating about community policing and defunding the police and ending qualified immunity. You know, tell me a little bit about, you know, how are you feeling about some of these proposals?
1: Well, we we definitely need to end qualified immunity immediately. And this is a bipartisan. this There's bipartisan legislation right now that was uh, introduced by uh, a libertarian, a former member of the Republican Party, mm-hmm. uh, Representative Amash. And he has. So this is actually a this bill actually has tripartisan support because it has libertarians, Republicans, and Democrats. And so I'm hoping that um, it can pass. Now, the problem is it also has bipartisan opposition because police unions are very powerful. Sure. They're very wealthy, and they have a lot of elected officials in their pocket. Some of these, the reason why we haven't seen real criminal justice reform is because uh, a lot of these elected officials are paid to lose. They're, they're paid to sit down and take that L so they can keep getting endorsements and funding from the police union. So we need the end qualified immunity because no amount of training uh and implicit bias training is going to stop this police officers aren't going to stop murdering black people until they understand there are consequences for their actions and qualified immunity basically says that they can do no wrong they like we saw police officers plow driving a uh, little teenage black girls in mckinney texas and qualified immunity protected them we saw them do a drive by on Tamir Rice. The car didn't even stop moving before they hopped out and murdered this twelve-year-old kid for playing with a toy gun in an open carry state and qualified immunity protected them. Now, I also now when it comes to defunding the police, mm-hmm. I'm hesitant to say defund the police, and here's why: words matter, right? And the way you present it, the way you package yes. the information is important. Yeah, and when you defund the police, that's going to scare a lot of middle America, even black people, even some uh, more conservative black people. But I agree with them in spirit as far as we do need to redistribute the wealth. So, like, there's there's no reason for police departments to have billions of dollars to buy tanks and barukas when there are teachers who can't even, uh, who have to go in their own pocket to buy school supplies for their own kids. Maybe if we took some of those millions of dollars away from military fatigues and tanks and tear gas and funded after school programs to keep our kids off the streets, we wouldn't need so many police officers. So we need to invest in our early childhood education. We need to invest in mental health facilities. We need to invest in uh, other areas. That money can be better spent. And so uh, from that aspect, I do think we need to uh, look at the police budget and reallocate some of those funds. Yeah. No,
0: I think you're absolutely right. I think that, you know, someone was talking to me, we were having a discussion about it, and they were saying, you know, we have people that we know have mental disabilities while we sending the cop, you know, uh, into that situation that may not be trained to help, you know, may not be, maybe partner with a social worker, maybe if somebody experienced domestic violence, maybe partner with a marriage counselor that can go in. Like there are other ways that we can get creative uh, as far as
1: providing solutions for people, you know, absolutely. Because to a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah. So police yeah. command yeah. will brute force the body, especially when it comes with black folks. And also, so there, there's also a call for people to abolish the police. Yeah. And the, yeah. the way I see the call is, if you look at policing in America, the police force was created as slave patrols. That's mm-hmm. their origin, mm-hmm. and so when slavery ended we never went back to look at um the the slave patrols and say okay now that slavery is over what do we do with this with this slave patrol for us maybe we should restructure or rethink how this thing operates but we never did and so essentially the police department still functions like the slave patrol they like stop and frisk is kind of like stopping the slave for their papers like and you know when you stop uh, when the police officer pull over black kids in the white neighborhood, like, what are you doing here, boy? That's how they used to do slaves. So th- some of those, and that's why they they treat black people a certain way and white people another way because that's how they were designed from the beginning. So we do need to reform and restructure the police department. So good, so good. You're absolutely right,
0: absolutely right. I think reform is definitely needed. And you know, my family, we had cops in our families that you know. We're good cops. And so I think some people get offended and by no means are we trying to come for all cops. However, I will say, you know, this, as I said before, there cannot be this, you know, tolerance for bad apples. You know, you know who's doing work and who's not doing work. You know, I think in the police force, you know, the bad actors that are there, you know, there cannot be this fraternity to protect the bad apples, to to protect the bad cops, you know, to look the other way. It, It cannot exist and I agree. They have to realize there are consequences for killing black people. You know, using excessive force, there has to be consequences. Until there are you know, consequences in place, unfortunately, these situations like George
1: Floyd and others will persist. Right. And the, re- and the reason why we're seeing so much uprising, especially, particularly in uh, Minneapolis, is because yeah. of hypocrisy, like, yeah. So we, we saw some egregious police murders uh, out there, right, in that city. They've been dealing with this for a long time. And the only, in the history of all the police murders, there, only one cop has been convicted. And it was a black Muslim cop who shot a white woman on accident. They sent their brother to prison immediately. So that's how you know it. it's, about, it's about. And going back to what you said about uh, the, the the good cop, bad cop situation. I was actually uh, ha- talking about uh, reading about word with another brother that we went overseas with, Nathaniel. And, yeah. and Proverbs uh, chapter 18, verse 9 says, Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. And that's mm-hmm. relevant to police because your job is to serve and protect. It's, it's, so if you're slacking your work, like for example, the the uh, police officers who stood by and let that cop murder George Floyd. You're a brother to the one who destroyed. You're a brother to the cop who's killing us. If you're not stepping in to stop him, absolutely, 100% in agreement.
0: 100% in agreement. You know, I mean, this is, this is, it's, it's tough, but I think reform is coming for a long time. I mean, you just said that there's so many cases in Minneapolis where you know this is not the exception. This is the norm. You know, that's that's ridiculous. Yep. And, uh, you know, I think the reform is inevitable as the you know mayor and police chief both have said that they are going to be looking at, you know, alternatives. Uh, and so I think it's just a long term, long time coming. Um, how do you see your role as a leader, your strong leader in the community here in Austin? Um, what do you see your role as a leader is in helping to be a part of the solution to end racism in America?
1: Mm hmm. Well, yeah. One of my first, one of my most important roles is to continue to listen and learn. Mm-hmm. So, even, uh, what I how I, the way I learned about what happened with that the, the truth about the Alamo is this: it's a, a judge, the first black person to ever be elected judge in Walla County. He actually taught me about that. And the, and the and the what I know about the origins of police, I actually learned from a guy named Chaz Moore, who's an activist out here in Austin. He's the president of the Austin Justice Coalition, and the that. A phenomenal thing so to continue to learn so i can help spread that information but also to mobilize students so as, as student body president one of the first things i did was a call to action to the student body and basically challenged them to get active because the university i went to hbcu for undergrad but the university of texas is, is very white super white and so but i but i will say that they responded and one uh, young lady she's not black but she's a woman of color she responded to the call and founded, first of all, she raised $10,000 for the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Then she turned around and, and co-founded an organization called Law Students for Black Lives. And they're already at like 168 members. They're planning demonstrations. They're planning an a, a advocacy day at the state capitol. They're doing incredible things. So I, I feel like my job is to, to uh, be that moral force for the student body because the student, the law students at the University of Texas, are the future leaders of, of the of the state. You know, and so um, I think God. It's kind of like when um, when uh, God, you know, had the dialogue between Mordecai and Ruth. When Mordecai told Ruth, "You know, maybe God put you in, in in this position for such a time as this." I feel like God put me in this position for such a time as this, so that I can speak up and just and influence the students that are the future leaders of Texas and just do my part. Absolutely, man.
0: Absolutely. So good. So good. I want to ask you, you, you talked about uh, how people that are not of color that are responding, you know, I've had a conversation uh, with a friend of mine who was white, who reached out to me and it's, and I like what you said in your last answer about listening and learning because he reached out to me and I've had several people reach out to me just to check on me that are not black, but he was asking questions, you know, and he was inquisitive and he wanted to know, you know, you know how are you feeling? How is it affecting you? Tell me a little bit about your perspective on, you know, racism in the Black community and how you have to deal with this. Um, and so it was really, just really powerful, um, just our conversation and what we ended up walking away, both learning a little bit more about each other and digging a little bit more deep into the issue at hand. I want to ask you, you know, what would you say the ask is from our white allies at this time?
1: I think our white allies need to be on the front lines protesting, but taking the uh, but taking the lead from black organizers. So like when and trusted black organizers like for I use Austin for example because that's where we are. When the Austin Justice Coalition has anything, white people need to be there and support. Like they need to and they don't necessarily need to be there behind the microphone yeah. be boost and support. They should be donated because because of systemic racism and oppression like the wealth gap is egregious, you know? So white folks on average have a lot more wealth than we do. And they should be donating to uh black causes, donating to the NAACP, donating to the legal the, uh, the legal defense fund and all of these organizations who are who are working on our behalf. And um yeah and they should they should educate themselves but also they don't need the preach to the choir like we don't need black uh white people coming on our Facebook pages talking about how messed up stuff is and how they support us or coming into black neighborhoods to organize protests. They need to be in their own neighborhood organizing and protesting mm-hmm. and speaking to their own coworkers about the racism that, you know, the implicit racism or the racist jokes that they're making on the job and talk to their bosses about why we don't have more black people in leadership and why we're not hiring more black people at this company. Yeah, yeah. Love it.
0: Solid points. Solid points, man. I love that. What, let me ask you this, you kind of, you know, talk about it a little bit in your answer. I get some people that are saying, okay, we're with you. You know, like I have one friend of mine, dear friend, older guy. He says, you know, I'm on the front lines and, you know, with this and, and calling for the end of racism in America. But I see in Chicago, all these black people that are dying at the hands of other blacks. And he says, I'm concerned about that. And he says, I don't know which black lives to care about, you know. And so I was just coaching him on that and his response and and how to, you know, really better, uh, you know, care about both situations. But I just want to hear your perspective. What do you say to people that say, hey, you guys are talking about what's happening in police reform, but what's happening with blacks killing each other at an alarming rate?
1: So here's the thing about that. The reason why police brutality or the reason why black on black crime is not an excuse to um, to forget about police brutality is this. For one, in Chicago, in any city, but since, since we're talking about Chicago, we'll, we'll go with Chicago. Yeah. A black person murders a black person and they're caught. They're going to prison. Mm-hmm. Even if a black person is innocent, we every day we see a black person who was uh, let out of prison because they were convicted for a crime they didn't c- commit. So even some innocent black person people, but especially uh black people who are caught murdering somebody they're going to prison mm-hmm. police officers have been murdering us on camera with impunity continuously mm-hmm. and they get to walk scot free they get a paid vacation mm-hmm. and then they get shipped to another police department to continue to terrorize our streets that's one another reason is because police officers are essentially our employees They're paid by our tax dollars. They work for us. They're they're supposed to serve and protect us. So our employees who are basically a state-sponsored terrorism because it's our money being spent to murder us, whereas a Black person in Chicago is not an employee of the state. It's not the executive arm of the city who is committing those murders. And and then finally, Black people are concerned about crime in our communities. And Houston, Texas, we have an organization called the No More Bloodshed Movement, which is designed to go in our communities and hold ourselves accountable and to stop, you know, the, uh, the the crime that's going on in our community. And I protested with them and marched with them as led by shout out to Brother Derek Muhammad and Pastor Deckard, who are, are, are a man of Muslim faith and a man of Christian faith who came together to uh, to combat that. So we can do both. We can call to stop the violence in uh, in our communities, but also hold police accountable. And more police in, in our communities is not gonna stop that crime. What's gonna stop that crime is, is investing in early childhood education, is investing in jobs in the black community. We have to like, for example, if you look at uh, wealthy white neighborhoods, they're not, they, the crime is low, but it's not because they have a huge police presence. It's not more police doesn't mean less violence. The reason why the crime is low there is because the unemployment rate is low there because there's no food desert. They have fresh food and vegetables and go. water it's because they have after school programs and well-funded uh, school system. So if we want to fix Chicago, we need to take the money out of that police budget and, and from uh, all the police budgets really and funnel that money into the uh, education system, into the livelihood of these black people. And that's how we can transform those communities. I
0: agree 100%. I think I love the point you made because I used to say that a lot in campaigns that I used to run in Detroit. And you know, we're, you know, some of our points uh, for legislation is for jobs. If people have are, em- are employed, you know, and they have opportunity, and they don't have time to be in, trying to figure out who they can rob to feed their families or who they can, you know, try to, you know, take advantage of. If people are busy working and providing for their own families and it definitely reduces crime. And so I I 100% agree with that, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, I appreciate the time, man. We're coming up on time for the podcast, man. This has been so good. Thank you. I know you are a man that has got his hands full and your bags are heavy, but I'm so proud of what you are accomplishing and what you're doing to really strengthen the community. And so uh, I know this is the first, but it would not be the last time with you on the podcast, Anthony. So thank you so much for your time, man.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here, and I'm excited to see uh, how your podcast is going to grow and how you're going to take over. So I'm definitely a fan of the podcast, and I look forward to checking out more episodes.
0: Thank you, sir. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. Well, you have a good night, man. We'll talk soon.
1: You too. Take care.